You're listening to the IQVIA podcast, where we discuss ways to drive innovation in healthcare. This is a special episode recorded with one of our trusted partners. Thank you for listening. You're listening to a sponsored episode on The Top Line. IQVIA is a leading global provider of advanced analytics, technology solutions, and clinical research services to the life science industry. IQVIA enables customers to accelerate the clinical development and commercialization of innovative medical treatments that improve healthcare outcomes for patients in more than 100 countries. Today, we're speaking with Greg Lieber, a director within the IQVIA Applied Data Science Center, who joins me today to share how IQVIA models patient insights into trial design to ensure meaningful and manageable experience for participants while improving research outcomes. Greg began his career in life sciences and technology more than 13 years ago after obtaining his PhD at the University of Cambridge for his work combining quantum physics and machine learning to develop new approaches for small molecule drug discovery, he worked as a postdoctoral associate at MIT. Shifting to industry, Greg has become an integral part at several technology startups in London and then joined Genomics England in the early stages of the 100,000 Genomes Project, seeing it through to project completion. As a director within the IQVIA Applied Data Science Center, Greg helps clients discover innovative ways to bring life-changing drugs and therapies to patients faster, leveraging IQVIA offerings and their team of expert machine learning engineers and scientists under his leadership. Greg, welcome, and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Really great to get a chance to speak with you. To get us started, I'd like to ask you why it is important to look at a patient participation as a journey versus a recruitment number. Yeah, so we can think of the patient journey as the entire experience of a patient participating in a clinical trial, from the initial decision to enroll up to the end of the trial, and including all the steps in between, such as the informed consent process, the study visits, and any adverse events that may occur. So looking at patient participation as a journey, this is really important from three main areas. So the first is that it helps us to understand the challenges that patients face when participating in clinical trials. And these challenges can be physical, emotional, financial, or logistical. And by understanding these challenges, we can design trials that are more patient-friendly and that make it easier for patients to participate. The second main area is that looking at patient participation as a journey helps us to identify opportunities for improvement. So as an example, we can look at how we can make the informed consent process more understandable and less intimidating. And we can also look at how we can make the study visits more convenient for patients, keeping up recruitment levels. And then the third main area is that by looking at patient participation as a journey, it helps us to build trust with patients. And essentially, when patients feel like they're being treated with respect and that their needs are being met, they're more likely to participate in trials. And there are other things we can do to improve the patient journey by reducing things like patient burden. And these are things like providing patients with financial assistance if they need it, offering patients emotional well-being support throughout the trial, and listening to patients' feedback, making those changes to trials as needed through adaptive trial designs. 
Now, reducing this patient burden makes clinical trials more patient-friendly, then we're more likely to attract and retain participants. And reducing patient burden also increases participant engagement in trials. And when patients are engaged in their care, they're more likely to adhere to the study protocol and to complete the trial. They're also more likely to share their experiences with others, which can really help to raise awareness of clinical trials in general and also help to recruit more participants in the future. So how can flexible models create a culture of quality and better trial outcomes? Flexible models allow for changes to be made to the trial design or protocol as needed. So this is the sort of thing that can be done in response to new data, changing circumstances or patient feedback. And flexible models can create this culture of quality and better trial outcomes. And they do this through ensuring that the trial is designed to be as effective as possible. And by allowing for changes to be made, the trial can be adapted to meet the needs of the patients, to address any challenges that arise. Flexible models can help to improve trial efficiency, as by making these changes as needed, the trial can be completed more quickly and with fewer resources. This saves time and money, and that could potentially be reinvested to fund um, additional research. And improving um, this trial efficiency towards helping refund more research is actually really impactful, um, as it's ultimately getting the therapies in the hands of the patients that need it most. But what flexible models also allow us to do is improve the quality of the data that's being collected within the trial. So by allowing for changes to be made, the trial can be designed to collect the most relevant, the most accurate data. And this data can then be used to make the best decisions um, regarding patient care. But also what flexible models can allow us to do is improve the transparency of the trial. So by having a trial more open and accountable to all stakeholders, this is going to build trust and confidence in the process. And thinking about that last point of transparency and being open, specifically where all stakeholders have access to the same data and information about the trial. So this is where we're thinking of things like the protocol, the data collected, the decisions that are made. By making all of this information available, stakeholders can provide feedback and insights that can be used to make real-time adjustments to the trial design. So some examples of this might include uh, if the data is showing one treatment arm is not performing as well as expected, the trial team can make some changes to the protocol to address the issue. And so this could involve things like changing the dosage of the drug, maybe adding a new treatment arm, or potentially stopping the trial altogether. How about creative elements? How do these models drive the creative elements? Yeah, so flexible models can really drive creative elements within clinical trials by things like developing new trial designs that are more patient-centered and that take into account the individual needs of patients. You can do things like identify new ways to collect data which are more sensitive to patient outcomes. We can drive it by developing new approaches for data analysis, which can identify patterns and insights um, that wouldn't necessarily be possible through traditional or conventional methods. So here we're thinking about maybe potentializing machine learning or large language models and these kind of cutting edge approaches that are coming in. Flexible models can also drive creative elements by creating new ways to communicate with patients about trials and obtaining feedback and developing new ways uh, to engage patients in the trial, make them feel like they're actually part of the research team. Um, so 
thinking about where flexible models have actually been used um, to drive these creative elements. So as an example, a study used a flexible model to um, allow for changes to the trial design to be made as needed. So the trial team was able to make changes to um, you know, the dosaging, frequency of the study visits uh, and the inclusion criteria as they learned more about the drug and its effects. And as an example, within oncology, uh, a study of a new cancer treatment used a flexible model to collect data on a variety of patient reported outcomes. So what this did is it helped the researchers better understand the impact of the treatment on patients' quality of life. Um, there was also a vaccine study. This used a flexible model to analyze data using machine learning algorithms. So this allowed the researchers to identify patterns in the data that essentially wouldn't have been available to them with, the, with uh, traditional methods. So I hope that kind of gives a nice example there. Does modeling optimize the site strategy? Yep. So modeling can certainly be used to optimize site strategy for trials. It takes into account a variety of factors, and these can include things like the patient population, the availability of the sites, the historical performance of healthcare professionals and physicians, uh, the site recruitment rates, and also the resources required to conduct the trials. So modelling can support these initiatives by doing things like identifying potential clinical sites that are located in areas with a high concentration of the target patient population. You can do things like assess the capacity of each potential site to screen, enroll, but also retain those patients. You can do things like identify potential sites that have the necessary resources to actually conduct the trial. So these are things like staff, equipment, facilities, and then also develop a, a risk assessment for each potential site to essentially identify any potential challenges that could impact the trial. And so by using modeling to optimize the site strategy, essentially this allows our, our clinical researchers to improve the chances of success for the trial, you know, leading to faster, more efficient drug development. Ultimately, this is going to benefit patients. And so in some actual examples, modeling was used to identify potential sites in areas with high concentrations of patients with Alzheimer's, Thinking back to some vaccine trials, modelling was used to develop risk assessments for each potential site, identifying potential challenges that could impact the trials. And so in the vaccine-specific ones, it was things like the availability of cold storage facilities. The modelling can also help with feasibility and support by providing insights into aspects like the number of patients that are likely to be eligible for the trial, the time and resources that will be required to conduct the trial and the potential challenges that could impact this trial. It's by understanding these factors that then the clinical researchers can make more informed decisions about the feasibility, the support requirements for the trial, and essentially help to ensure the trial is conducted as efficiently and effectively as possible. And so examples of this, when receiving modeling predictions that a trial was going to be particularly difficult to enroll for, the clinical team may need to adjust the eligibility criteria, maybe focus on recruiting participants from specific areas or your modeling may predict that a trial will be quite resource intensive and so the clinical team may need to secure additional funding or resources. But ultimately trial designers can really accelerate their work by using these sorts of sophisticated modeling tools. As an example there are some amazing tools within IQVIA's Connected Intelligence and this technology helps identify cases where adaptations can deliver really significant value and kind of model the ideal timing, the patient scenarios, including sites. 
and also provide real detailed evidence needed to make a case to decision makers in terms of the benefits of adapted designs versus, say, the standard fixed designs. So I hope that gives a kind of nice example there. Craig Lever, thanks so much for your time today. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the IQVIA podcast. Learn more about how we help our customers and partners accelerate innovation in healthcare at IQVIA.com.